It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hey friends, welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation right here on the LaneCast. And today we find ourselves in the home office of the Montana Farm Bureau Federation. And our guest today is Mr. John Youngberg, the Executive Vice President of the Montana Farm Bureau. John, how are things going today? Hey, it's a great day. Uh, It's been a little warm. We could use a little rain, but a good day by any means. Well, that is no joke, and we could use a drink of water to uh, really help with some of these forest fires and, and just to help things out across the countryside. I just got back from Alaska. I was in Alaska for Western Region meetings all week last week. The high last week was 61 when I was in Fairbanks, so... I'd, somewhere in the middle would be good, but it it felt pretty good in Fairbanks. I think 70, 75 degrees is the perfect temperature. Uh, that's that San Diego weather, I guess we could call it. But uh, before we jump into our conversation here today, talking about safety first and OSHA rules in the state of Montana and how that could impact family-owned farms and ranches, I would just like to thank the sponsors of today's show, the Public Lands Council. They're celebrating 50 years of advocating for the more than 22,000 public lands ranchers that graze on public lands across the west for more on them and their 50th annual meeting visit them today at the publiclandscouncil.org well farm bureau has put out a blog john that's what that's what led us to this discussion here today in that saying that and i've said it too my dad said it every farmer and rancher has said this phrase that's not OSHA approved, whether you're using baling twine to fix something out on the farm or ranch. But uh, that, that joke is truly uh, could be a problem for farmers and ranchers. And OSHA's main purpose is workplace safety. How, how does Montana Farm Bureau fall into this? And uh, uh, why, why are we having this discussion about should Montana have its own safety standards? Well, first off, it, you know, we are keenly aware of safety on the farm. I think it's uh, it's vitally important. We're in a very risky business. Um, you know, the, the chances of injury, and we try to do everything we can to ensure that folks are safe on the farm. We have our Montana Ag Safety Program, a uh, lot, of, lot of programs. We do ATV safety for young people. But so uh, safety is a big concern of ours uh and osha is in charge of workplace safety for the united states uh, the occupational safety and health administration uh they normally go around and do um inspections uh they they investigate claims and complaints uh the one thing that we have in montana why it hasn't been a big issue in agriculture up to now is that if you had less than 10 employees you were exempt from osha um in montana so we didn't have a great deal of of exposure to osha from now in the last session there was a bill brought forward to have montana take over the primacy or take over the the osha program uh from osha we would run it it'd have to be at least as good as as the, the federal osha program uh but Montana would run the program uh, through the Department of Labor. It was really, uh, it's really being pushed through the Department of Labor. Uh, that didn't get much traction, but uh, they're back at, you know, looking at this. Whether it's good or bad for Montana is, is what they're trying to make the determination. So my question on that is, if Montana takes over that workplace safety standards 
uh, who pays for that? Is it the, fully the state of Montana? Does the federal government help out? And if the federal government does help out, uh, is that funding permanent? Well, they uh, they help out. Um, the federal government, OSHA, provides 50% of the funding for the state-run programs. Now, understand that there are a lot of state-run programs. In fact, a lot of our neighbors around us have state-run programs. Um, so they, they, on paper, will provide 50% of the funding. But when I talked about they, there's an ag exemption, it really is an exemption in the law. It's an exemption from, it's an appropriations writer that exempts them from spending money, doesn't allow them to spend money on the OSHA program. So uh, if you want to do any kind of ag program in Montana, or if you were required to do any kind of ag program, OSHA wouldn't pay for that. So they would pay for 50% of your costs, less any cost that you incurred doing ag safety. Now, there could be some farmers and ranchers listening to this, and they may be starting to sweat because w when you think of government interference, regulation, especially how um, anything that could throw off the daily operations and making money on the farmer ranch, uh, you uh, made a list of the pros and cons of what it would look like if the state took over the management of this. Uh, could you run through some of those? Why, why would this be good for Montana farmers and ranchers and for Montana Farm Bureau members? Well, for one thing, if you were a large corporation, if you had a number of employees and you were multi-state, uh, it would be good because those your records can't follow you from one state to another. Right now, if if you're a uh, continental grain and you have a a violation in North Dakota or South Dakota or Wyoming, and then you have another one in Montana, that's a second violation, and that bumps up up the fines. Well, that doesn't. Uh, if you have a state-run OSHA program, it doesn't do that. You don't. That doesn't follow you. There's no tail on on those things. So uh, that's that's a good thing uh, for for some. The other thing is is, and I've heard this complaint, uh, not so much among ag people, but among contractors and some others, that the the same penalties and fines don't apply to public entities as applies to private enterprise. Under a state-run OSHA, it would be the same. Um, another thing under a state-run program is you could have a a consultation program where you could ask OSHA to come out, the state-run OSHA people to come out, look at your farm, see if there's any places that are obvious violations. They would look at that. They would give you a report on what, what those things were. They cannot report, supposedly, they cannot report to the enforcement arm of OSHA for that. That's the way it's run in other states. Um, unless there is a death or a serious injury, then they can report that. But So if you had a consultation, they could come up and tell you what you needed to do to make your, your operation uh, more safe uh, and not report the enforcement arm. What do those consultations look like? Obviously, they come out, they inspect all aspects of it, but uh, uh, from, have you ever met with people that have had these consultations? I, I've talked to some folks from, from Washington, and they do that. And what they do is they come and look at your grain bins. If you have uh, fall protection on your ladders that go to the top of your grain bins, which, you know, that would be a cage around the ladder. Uh, if you have a tag-out lockout system in your grain bin, if you use any kind of mechanical uh, things in your grain bin, a sweep, uh, then you'd have to tag out and lock out. So it would be a two-man operation to clean out a grain bin with a grain sweep. Uh, a number of things like that that they would look at. Uh, ladders, they'd check your ladders. Um, uh, uh, anything above four feet 
uh, requires you to have some kind of safety restraint. You've got to be tied off on, on anything above four feet. Um, I think of what I see people doing on the farm, uh, and a lot of it's mainly because of time. Uh, there'd be a lot more work for, for farmers and ranchers if we had to follow some of that. But at the end of the day, safety is so important out on our farms and ranches. And uh, that, that's why this OSHA discussion set aside, that always needs to be at the forefront of, of, of everyone out in the countryside. And uh, jo- going from maybe those pros to some of the cons, I see uh, in the Farm Bureau uh, a blog post that a, one of the cons is a state program has to have at least equal or more restrictive uh, uh, laws within that plan. Uh, so how would that impact it if those regulations are more restrictive than the federal plan? Well, I think the way they would be more restrictive, Lane, is that they would, um, for the, the funding, right now um, it's in the law. It says you ha- there's no exemption for agriculture. That's part of the law. So if we had to be equal to the law or more restrictive, we could not exempt out those ag people unless the state opted to do that and i'm not sure what that does to your you know those are questions that we have is what does that do to your ability to then take over the program or your cost of the program so um i think that that equal to or better than you'd have to be equal to what's written in the law not what the way it's being enforced by osha today well how about independent contractors how's that impact them well OSHA doesn't cover independent contractors for states, um, which makes that further muddies the water. When you know, if you're hiring a a custom crew to come in and cut your hay, or you're hiring a builder and they don't tie off, I mean that further uh, muddies up the liability on that. So though, that's another question that that we we just don't have an answer to. Then also. Uh You've written that there's no exemption for ag employers with under 10 employees as well. Yeah, that's that's the part where you know we uh, you'd you'd be subject to investigation, um, regular visits from OSHA. Now the beauty of it is is uh, you know even if we didn't have the ag exemption, they don't have enough employees in Montana to go to every farm and ranch. But certainly a complaint from a uh, you know an employee or a neighbor would would you know, stir up an investigation. And then also the cost. It was interesting. They brought in the the head of the Washington, or the Washington OSHA program, and uh, she was very, very enlightening, and she talked a lot about the program and the pros and cons of it. Uh, I asked the question, you know, what does it cost? What's your budget, if I could ask? It was $84 million a year. Now, you've got to understand Washington's a much bigger state, a lot more employees, employers than Montana. But if it was a third of what Montana is, you know, we're talking, you know, in excess of $20 million to run another bureau in the Department of Labor, uh, which is, is a pretty stiff price tag. Washington pays for it. Half of it's paid for, or, um, you know, half of it's, about 20% actually in the end is paid for by OSHA, but that $84 million budget um, is funded through their work comp program. And uh, the state runs the work comp there. It's not like we have here. So it's easy for them. It's almost like a tax on workers. Here, 
it would be hard to go to our quasi-private public work comp and say you're going to have to fork over $20 million a year to run the OSHA program. I don't think you'd get it done, quite truthfully. Uh, and so that would fall to employers as a tax on employers. Now, of course, we have a legislative session coming up uh, in 2019 in Helena. Uh, where do you feel, you're, you're a former uh, chief lobbyist for the Montana Farm Bureau, uh, you spent a lot of years up on the Hill, uh, where do you see this going in this legislative session? It kind of got pushed to the side in the last session. Uh, where, where, what's the feeling from elected officials and, and maybe those in the lobbying end on this issue for this upcoming session? My sense is that uh, the sentiment hasn't changed. Now, there was some misunderstanding in the last bill that they introduced. And um, the truth is, is you've got to pass a bill that says you're going to investigate it right now. That's the first step. And before OSHA will even talk to you about it. So even if they passed one in the next session, they'd have to go through a series of steps in order to make sure that it was it was finalized. But I'm not sensing in the legislature unless it changed significantly uh, an interest in growing government by you know another bureau at the department of labor and by however many million dollars so the big question that montana farm bureau members are asking especially the uh, health and safety committee which helps put forward grassroots policy for the organization to advocate on is uh, will this be beneficial for farmers or ranchers what is the health and safety committee leadership uh, saying about this currently well, the, the problem is, is we don't have policy on this. And that's what we're asking our members to do is to take a look at this and determine where they want to be on this, uh, which side they want to be. Now, as I said, you know, we're, we're very interested in, in safety. And Montana does not have a great record of, of safety on our farms and ranches. Uh, I think through some of the, the state fund programs that, that the Montana Ag Group runs, uh, we've, we've made that better. Uh, but we don't have a great safety record. So, you know, we could get better. Is is this the answer to that? And is it going to be worth the money that you're going to have to spend to do it is going to be the question they'll have to answer. Now, uh, uh, speaking about uh, Farm Bureau, the uh, the committees and the grassroots policy, kind of switching gears here, uh, we're moving in. 2019 is the 100th celebration for Montana Farm Bureau. Uh, what, what should folks be thinking about? Maybe uh, uh, members that... Uh, uh, they've paid their dues for a long time. Maybe they don't participate in, in the state convention, but uh, what are some of the things we got planned for the 100th celebration, the centennial of Montana Farm Bureau? We've got, I, I'm really excited, and, and we have a young lady that's doing a history of the Montana Farm Bureau. We've never done that, and, and you know, if you don't do it now, you wait another 100 years to, before you do it, but... Uh, Montana Farm Bureau has such a rich history in this state. You know, we started in, in actually in the 15s is when the first county organizations were formed, um, Dawson County being the first that was formed. So uh, uh, they, they didn't last very long, but they came back, and, and Lewis and Clark was the second, and I think they're the longest-running Farm Bureau. But it's interesting that we had to wait for a declaration, uh, a piece of legislation to pass uh, the uh, – the Montana House and, and Senate before we could start Farm Bureau because during those days, it was right after World War I, if there was any large meeting or gathering or organization, you know, there was fear of it being Bolshevism. So they, they literally had to have legislation that allowed them to, to meet. 
And some of the county agents in the early years had to write to the Department of Defense in order to get permission for large gatherings. Um, the, uh, they were so critical in, in the eradication of grasshoppers, of, of you know, ground squirrels. I mean, they, their early policy, when I look at the, the 1919 policies uh, and the, the program of work that they had, they, they, those folks were, were very busy. I mean, and they, they kept at it. And some of the leaders, we've actually dug up the, the relatives of some of the early leaders. Um, to, and they will be invited to the, the convention. Uh, we've got all, we've, Yellowstone Wineries is making a commemorative wine that we're going to be selling at the convention. Um, we have uh, belt buckles. We have all kinds of swag that we're, we're going to have there, as well as we have, we've commissioned an artist to do a or a, an oil painting for the Montana Farm Bureau Centennial. We'll be selling, um, you know, prints of that. Uh, it, it's going to be exciting. Now, also uh, at the uh, summer conference, which was held over in Fairmont Hot Springs uh, back in June, the big push was the uh, $100,000 that the Montana Farm Bureau Foundation is raising to help with uh, uh, grants to help improve rural communities and rural businesses. Uh, could you elaborate on that? I know that's the foundation end of things, but that, I mean, this is all about the 100 years. Well, it is. And, and you know, the 100,000, 100 years kind of, of work well together. But when Farm Bureau first started, one of their big pushes was, was community. Uh, and in fact, if you drove around, I think there was something like 23 or 24 community halls built by county Farm Bureaus around the state of Montana. Well, our communities need some help again. When we start looking at small rural communities, uh, you know, the vitality of those communities, some of them is, is struggling. Uh, they're losing some of their core businesses uh, because of, of competition. Uh, a lot of that's through, through the Internet. Uh, so it's hard for them to stay in business. So we're looking at ways to kind of revitalize those communities. So we're looking at small grants. We're not going to be able to fund somebody building a factory in, in a small town. But, you know, we can, we can provide some seed money for people to put together a business plan to do some different things. And that's what we're looking for is ways to revitalize that, that sense of community in Montana. Now, also, when this show was recorded, uh, it's before the Farm Bill uh, Conference has even uh, convened, and we're looking, hopefully, September. The current Farm Bill runs out at the end of September, and we don't want a 2014 uh, Farm Bill. Well, it was a 2012 Farm Bill, and then it uh, turned into the 2014 Farm Bill. And uh, just in case the House does uh, uh, switch uh, leadership from the uh, Republicans uh, to the Democrats, that could complicate uh, the Farm Bill itself. Uh, what, what are some of those main priorities that uh, Farm Bureau leadership is uh, uh, hoping to see once the uh, conference of the Senate and House Farm Bill uh, legislation comes out? Well, one of, you know, I look at this Farm Bill as being more tweaks to what we had in the past. I think that the ARC and PLC programs work pretty well. Uh, we're looking for some changes to the um, Livestock Indemnity Program. Uh, it just isn't working. Um, we've we had some critical losses in Montana uh, in livestock, and and that program doesn't work well. So we're looking at some changes in there. We're looking for research money uh, as well. We don't want to see uh, them short research money, um, and and those are probably two two of the biggest things we're looking at right now. Now, also, we saw Senator Deb 
Fisher's uh, legislation be successful in terms of the electronic logging device and hours of service uh, uh, rule debate that is going on in our nation's capital and across the West. So for another year, we have an exemption in agriculture for livestock producers and livestock haulers, but there's still a lot of work ahead. And this is how I'm going to parallel it. Uh, Montana Farm Bureau and also its affiliation with the American Farm Bureau Federation. There's a lot of folks from Montana that have gone and, and worked on Capitol Hill advocating uh, on behalf of the industry and, and trying to shed light on ELDs. But uh, uh, that, that's the importance of having that grassroots county, state, and the national representation. And an e- the ELD issue is one of those uh, that truly shows the, the hard work that goes on on all levels. It is, and it's a, it's a good program for people because people understand it. I mean, we're, we all know livestock haulers in ag industry, and so when we send people back to D.C., it's easy for them to talk about that. And it's, a, it's an easy point to make with, with our folks. And I think it, it, it resonates with others. When you start talking about the, the welfare of those animals that are on trucks and stuff, I think that resonates well with others. But it's something that you got to keep you got to keep the hammer on. I mean, you got to keep people, and it's so nice to have people go back to D.C. Uh, with with Farm Bureau or with their groups, and and talk to their legislators. Um, it's uh, uh, they're the folks that are voting for them. They're the folks that are the boots on the ground. They're the ones that that know the issues and live those issues. So it's it's so important for those folks to be able to do that. Now we've covered quite a lot of topics from those OSHA regulations to the Farm Bill uh, to the 100 years uh, coming up in 2019 for Montana Farm Bureau. But the 99th convention is coming up uh, in November. Am I correct? Is it no October yep. or November? November. Yep. That's November 12th through the 15th. Uh, we've actually moved it to the end of the week this year. We we used to start on Sunday and go through through Wednesday. This year we're starting on Wednesday and going through Saturday. So we hope to be done by noon on Saturday at, or before so we can make it to the Bobcat game that day. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited about that because we'll be kicking off a lot of the centennial things. There will be some things kicking off there. Uh, looking for some, some speakers. It looks like we'll have somebody from the Department of Interior there. Uh, not sure who that will be, um, but somebody higher up in the Department of Interior uh, that will be able to talk to us about management of lands in the West. So we're excited about that. I just recently, just on Friday afternoon, returned from Alaska where the Western, um, all 13 Western states met, and they set some priorities for the following year. And, and one of those is, is fire management and, and land use management in the West. Now, uh, interesting you bring that up because uh, today when this show was recorded, Secretary of Agriculture Purdue and uh, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke were in California looking at uh, the catastrophic wildfires there. And I was reading an interesting uh, post uh, of a national publication, and they said most foresters and ranchers and ag organizations support thinning and logging and prescribed burns. And just most foresters, that really threw me for a loop because all foresters should be in support of logging and thinning and uh, prescribed burns. But uh, what is some of the policy that Montana Farm Bureau members uh, are, are have worked on or maybe will be working on to uh, help uh, create healthy forests and working with Interior and uh, U.S. Forest Service? 
Well, I think some of the big things we work on might might not be legislation, but in rule and, and in the way actually the way our agencies are managed. We need to to get past this that we're managing everything for for wildlife, and we're you know we have to start managing range for the health of the range, not for the health of a you know a a certain species of livestock. So we have to get back to to being range managers. It it always amazed me if you go up to Fish and Game here in Montana and look at their uh, most of their range people are wildlife biologists. They, they're not range specialists. I think we have to get back to where we're looking at the resource, managing the resource. And that's that's the big part. In, in forestry as well, we have it's a resource that fares much better if we manage that resource. It can't be, a, you know, a, a just let it sit and, and it's going to take care of itself. When it does take care of itself, it's catastrophic best time to do that best time to talk to the administration best time to talk to legislators is when there's smoke in the air like there is right now uh, another question again i get off on the weeds and i get back on the road but uh when was the department of livestock's uh public uh forums they were having on uh, changes in their rules and one of those was about brucellosis in southwest montana the designated surveillance area and then also their proposal to uh maybe uh, have some restrictions on the counties that bordered it and cattle there what was the montana farm bureau's take on that well, you know, we've we've been supportive of the DSA. My fear is eventually this DSA will be the entire state. I mean, as we look at, uh, uh, you know, they expanded a very small portion in southwest Montana of the DSA that goes past Dillon over towards Idaho. So it is, that isn't significant. I think it's significant to the people that are there. But the, the rule that would require those neighboring counties now to test in and test out, I think that's, that's going to be expensive for some folks in those counties like Sweetgrass, uh, Park, um, Mar County, some of those that are going to have going to be involved in that. So, uh, you know, we need to do something permanent about brucellosis. We, we're, we keep putting Band-Aids on. You know, we need more research on trying to find, you know, a vaccination. We need to figure out, uh, you know, whether, you know, how we we manage our elk herds to to keep the numbers down enough to you know to lessen the spread of it in the elk herds so there's a, a lot of things that need to happen there uh, i don't think anything's real short term but um, in the meantime you know we've we've still supported the dsa in trying to keep all of montana from having to go through that onerous testing do you think Secretary Zinke will be able to get anything done in uh, whether it's uh, one term, uh, uh, whether that is President Trump having one term or two terms? Do you think that is realistic in, in seeing that we could have some different changes uh, on the national park end of things? Well, I think that that there's a will there. Um, but, you know, how often have you tried to swim upstream? Um, you know, the, the will to do that and... Uh, can easily be conquered by lawsuits and I think that's what we'll see is non non-government entities that that have a different view of things than we do will try to uh, we'll, we'll take that stuff to court well John we've covered quite a lot of topics here today before we wrap up today's uh, agriculture conversation is there anything else that you'd like to uh, share with the farmers ranchers or any of the listeners of the Lanecast today well I 
The one thing I would like to share is, I, you know, when times are good, it's easy to put down your pack and, and, and not do stuff. And when, when times get tough, when prices get a little harder, when we have tougher times, it's even more important than ever to be a part of an organization like Montana Farm Bureau. Um, they, you know, we, we try to advocate when you can't. And we have people in Helena um, when you can't be there. We have people in Washington, D.C. when you can't be there. Uh, it's important for you to be engaged and involved, but you can't always be there, and you need to have somebody that's spreading your message. And so I think now is it's as important or more important to be a part of an organization like Montana Farm Bureau. Well, John Youngberg, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, sharing a glimpse of uh, what the Montana Farm Bureau does for its farmer rancher members and uh, discussing anything and helping set policy on the uh, safety of OSHA on a federal and state level and all the way to the farm bill and, and talking brucellosis uh, in the designated surveillance area. Again, for more on the Montana Farm Bureau, information on how to become a member, just visit the Montana Farm Bureau online and on Facebook. That will do it for today. Thanks for joining the Agriculture Conversation. I'm Talking Ag Lane Nordland. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talking Ag Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your app or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.